Welcome to Tech Talks, a podcast brought to you by 70 Agency. You're listening to Martina and Barbara. Okay. Hi, Martina. Hi, Barbara. <laughs> welcome to 70 Tech Talks. Yeah, welcome back, everyone, for yet another episode. So it's been a long break. Be it's been a long break. It's been a summer, so it's a well-deserved break, I would say. I agree. But today we have a guest with us. Um, we have Carl Delin from Conversi joining us. Uh, Conversi is a provider of speech technology and solutions ranging from voice biometrics to machine translations operating in a variety of industries. So we're super excited to discuss what use cases and applications you are exploring. Welcome, Carl. Do you want to just introduce yourself? Tell us who you are in a better way than I did, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> that was a good introduction. Thank you for that, Barbara. Uh, yeah, so my name is Carl Delin. I'm the CTO for uh, Conversi. Uh, we are a speech technology and language technology company. And kind of exploring uh, what you can do with those technologies and what the values are. So how was the journey to even starting Conversi or how did you get into the company? Yeah, so the full journey, yeah. it started with, uh, we are three founders and uh, it's, um, it's Johan Claesson uh, and Petrus Lundgren. Uh, they started the company and they started off with using technology through uh, partnerships mm. uh, and um, uh, as resellers basically. And then I jumped on about one year ago to start to develop the technology ourselves. Uh, and the reason for that is basically because we saw it's necessary to uh, be able to develop the technology yourself because customers mm. have so uh, particular requirements and needs, which is hard to, to meet with a single off-the-shelf product. Yeah, and that's uh, one year ago I jumped on and since then we've been uh, developing the technologies uh, ourselves, focusing on voice biometrics mostly, uh, hey. but also um, speech-to-text. I think that's super exciting. So if you can maybe start just explaining what voice biometrics are and what speech technologies are, maybe we can start from there. <laughs> yeah, let's set the definitions. So voice biometrics, uh, biometrics in general is how to use your, your body as a way of uh, identification. So voice biometrics is uh, how to identify who you are through mm. voice. So that's something we can do and we can extract something we call a voice print for a person, which is very similar to a fingerprint, or it's very different at the same time because it's a completely different modality. Um, but it's uh, it's a very robust. It's uh, uh, you can say that the voice print is a function of many parts of your body, mm -hmm. including the uh, the shape of your uh, cranial, your skull, uh, and uh, other stuff, which just makes it uh, unique for you. Um, yeah, that's voice biometrics. Wait, what? Uh, wow, okay, so you mean that um, your voice is it's impacted by, well, for instance, your cranium and I guess other physical attributes. Exactly, so it's like small cavities in yeah. your skull uh, basically create these uh, patterns in the frequency spectra which you can use to identify uh, who is speaking. Wow. Yes, because that's, that's what I was wondering about. You know, with a fingerprint, you know that your skin is shaped differently. So when you put down your fingerprint, you will see visually that there's a difference between two people. 
Whereas with the voice, if you record a voice, I think it's quite interesting because often you would assume that someone's voice is cl- quite close to yours. For instance, your parents, for instance, your your siblings and so on. Um, but so it's on a level of frequencies that the biometric can recognize a voice. Exactly. So it's not mm-hmm. like what you're speaking about or anything yeah. like that, but it's actually just how it's spoken. Yeah. Uh, that's essentially how it works. And uh, yeah, while, while we're on fingerprints, it's uh, it's similar in the sense that you can yeah use it for verification and mm. identification at a very high accuracy. But for example, a fingerprint is a constant through your whole life, which is not the case with a voice print. So like when you are a kid, your skull does not look the same as no. when you're an adult. Yeah. So uh, it's uh, once you're reached 25, it's fairly constant. But mm-hmm. before that, it's uh, a bit so more shaky. Yeah. Are you able to, let's say, find a voice of someone that was... 10 years old, if you have their 30-year-old voice print? Or is that yeah. possible to track back? Is is the system able to identify the sound of the voice of the person when they had it when they were younger? It's a good question. I don't have a good answer. Once you reach 25, it's fairly stable. Below that, you probably need to, you need to sample the person more frequently mm. over the age, so to speak. I doubt that mm. will work out of the box. Uh, I think your your body changed too much during that period of uh, your life, uh, but uh, still haven't verified. So it's is it more that it's just right now impossible to track these things, or and it will be possible maybe in the future? I, I would never say it's impossible. It's always hard to predict what the machine learning is going to enable in the future. Yeah. Uh, but you could imagine that you could create an... Uh, algorithm that can transform a voice print, uh, kind of de-age it uh, and then you could find something like a good guess. This is probably how the person sounded like. So it's possible for images, for example. You can de-age persons and also age persons. I think think they even have it built in Snapchat. You can like, oh, how do I look when I'm I'm old? Yes, that's, that's why I was asking the question because I remember trying this Snapchat function with my dad one time. Was uh, it accurate? Yeah, well, I took a picture of myself of how I would look like when I was old and I'd look the same as my <laughs> grandmother. <laughs> and my dad almost got scared. He was like, wow, you look like my mom. <laughs> exactly. Sometimes AI surprises you how well it can guess things. Yeah. Um, so it might be, for sure, it might be possible to do, um, but the applications, of course, you yeah, need to be very careful about, especially when it comes to security. Mm. Uh, and also if you want to use it in uh, in the law system and so on, uh, that's going to take more time. Considering the security aspect, there will be a lot of regulations that need to be put in place before you can actually start maybe uh, using uh, that on a large scale. Or, I don't or know. maybe it's even reverse, because often with technology oh, yeah, it happens that it comes out and it creates a big mess of things yeah. before... The government actually steps in and tries to find a good regulation, you know, like we had in the case of Facebook. And, oh, yeah. Um, the legal system is maybe slower than technology, after yes, all. Yes, <laughs> 100%. I think, at least. Yeah. But so what, what, are the, what are the use cases that you are exploring now at Conversi? Yeah, so the foremost use case is in media. Mm-hmm. industry. A lot of media companies, either it's television companies or companies that do deal with commercial and so on mm-hmm. and want to follow up on their content in this spoken media. So uh, the use case is to upload some 
30 seconds of audio of the persons of interest mm. that you want to basically get notified about when they speak. So it's a bit like Google Alerts. So you can type in search keywords and it mm-hmm. will notify you when, for example, you are mentioned in media, but this would still mention and notify you when you have spoken in media or someone that you want to follow. And then there's also statistics uh, to summarize things. Either you want to follow up, did we, if maybe let's say you paid someone to say thing, something, you can follow that up automatically, for example. Yeah. Mm. In what cases do you find uh, this to be coming of use, for example, the amount of time someone speaks? Well, now when we have the election in Sweden, yeah. that's fairly important that you can discuss what is the correct uh, like distribution of uh, media time. You might still want to follow up on that. If you are a news outlet, do we actually re- report? Uh, oh yeah, report fairly if you give everyone the same amount of time. Yeah. That's interesting and obviously very relevant now when Sweden is just in election time. Yeah, it could also be interesting for the political parties themselves to... Mm. Uh, find content on their the other parties to go through and see what the other parties say. That's one aspect. The other is the arch- archiving kind of customer. Those that want to go back in time and index a huge amount of data to mm. make it searchable for themselves uh, and for, for their products. Um, so And that's also usually nationally owned agencies that have those kind of data sets. So for example, if you want to find what did some politicians say in the 70s. Mm. Well, first you need to find him. And this is the first step. How do, how do you train? And, and I suppose this would also be useful for police officers or like mm. police in general, right? Looking back through any kind of recordings. But just going back to the the AI itself, how do you train it? What do you need to train it? Mm. Uh, top secret. <laughs> 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 we will right. cut this out I promise <laughs> uh, yeah maybe in a simplified way is is there I mean I don't know if there's any secrets um, to how you're building your products but just is there a a general kind of way in how these models are being trained so in general for any machine learning task that accomplish or any machine learning algorithm that accomplish a certain task mm. You need the output and data and the input data for that task. So in the case of uh, speaker identification, well, you need audio of different speakers and you need their IDs. If you have that, you can create such an algorithm. Mm. That, that's the basics. How long does it take to train an algorithm? It, it actually time. takes a lot of time. Uh, so the one, uh, our um, voice print uh, algorithm took about a month on... Uh, GPU cluster. Mm. Uh, What is a GPU cluster? Yeah, so that's a a, a GPU to begin with is a a graphics processing unit, Mm -hmm. which is widely used in uh, machine learning because of its uh, uh, huge processing power. And NVIDIA is... Uh, Usually you use NVIDIA. Mm. Uh, They are uh, the GPU company that is most deeply invested into AI technology. Uh, and uh, yeah, a GPU cluster is uh, a collection of those. So you usually mm-hmm. put those together in a rack, and then you can um, parallelize your uh, algorithms and training your algorithms. It sounds like a flock of animals. Because <laughs> <laughs> you say you cluster them together and you train anyway, but it's very... If you put enough, it's going to be a farm, a GPU farm. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
I know you can rent a lot of farms, usually for um, rendering, rendering farms. Um, but it's very fascinating. Um, yeah. What is the accuracy on on this kind of uh, verification? Um, so uh, it's below one percent. Yeah. Error. Okay. So more than ninety-nine percent accuracy. It sounded very bad. So yeah. nice. um, As wow, well, this is really bad. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's uh, that's how good it is in general. And if you want to analyze that accuracy a bit more, or if you speak in terms of error, there are two kinds of errors. So mm-hmm. um, you can there's just like a free parameter. Uh, mm-hmm. It's like a threshold mm-hmm. uh, which you can set, and depending on how you set it, you will get uh, either of these two errors. And one error is um, uh, where you fail to find uh, or verify someone that should be verified. Mm-hmm. So you speak, let's say that we have a, a voice verification on your phone and you speak into your phone and it doesn't unlock. Uh, it happens all the time on your iPhone also. If you have an iPhone with Face ID, mm. it sometimes it just doesn't recognize you. It tends to happen on Saturday mornings. Uh, <laughs> and then I was about to say. <laughs> uh, so that is a false uh, negative. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's a false positive. That if it's if, if Barbara tries to unlock your phone, mm. uh, which is uh, well, depending on application, that kind of error is much worse. Yeah. Uh, so for security, that error is of course very bad. So then you would push one parameter up to kind of, well, it's fine that sometimes your phone doesn't recognize you. Mm. You can just type in a password, use an alternative identification method. So when we uh, talk about accuracy, we uh, uh, put those errors equal and we yeah, find the sweet spot. Mm. Uh, and that's below uh, 1% error. But in the cases where you do get an error, uh, especially with voice, right, I've noticed Quite often in Sweden, for example, you call a doctor maybe or Elva Hutihu mm, yeah. and uh, it's it often starts being just this voice input asking you what, you know, why are you here for? What is your case in Swedish? So I have to, it's quite good actually, it tracks pretty well. Uh, but let's say you have to identify yourself as a bank user for your bank and someone is able to trick you? Like, how can you enhance that security? Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. So someone calls you, they pretend they are a bank. Mm. Or let's say someone would call your bank, try to identify as you through voice, um, and then the system, what kind of um, security would you set up to ensure the failure of someone cheating through that? Wouldn't that be as for now? And I'm sorry, I don't. I'm sure you maybe have an alternative to this, but since this is probably still a technology that is, even if it's well developed, it's still maybe in the early stages. If this is going to be something that we apply on a on a large scale going forward, so I'd assume that at this point, if it's come, if it comes down to verification, you maybe have a two step verification, mm. right? Mm. When you and especially maybe in the beginning, if a bank recently deploy this kind of solutions in their services. So maybe the first step, while the algorithm is still being trained, maybe you will need two-step verification. But then as the algorithm goes on and trains on your voice several times, maybe it will... Remove that? Yeah, maybe it will remove the 
I can, I can connect it to a lot of apps now that yeah. ask you for this second two-factor verification. Yeah. But also then a question that I got while you're talking yeah. about this is, has this been implemented somewhere in the world on a larger scale, voice biometrics? Australia. Australia. Yeah, they're, what, what do they do? Uh, they use it in the um, uh, border control. So it's part That's of your, uh, it's part of the Australian passport. Mm-hmm. So when you, okay, so you as a citizen of Australia, you would also, besides your maybe picture, you have to provide your voice input? Okay. Yeah, so they collect multimodal biometric information. Uh, most people are used to photos and fingerprints, yeah. but now voice is also recorded. But that's the only country in the world, uh, to my knowledge so far, uh, yeah. that uses it like that. And uh, yeah, back to your thinking about mm. this multi-factor mm. authentication thing, uh, you're totally right. These, mm. um, in general, using uh, biometrics alone is a pretty bad idea. Because you, as opposed to passwords, you can't change it. Yeah. So if it gets lost, uh, it's lost forever. Or for your voice, it's lost for maybe 10 years or so. So mm. which is pretty bad. Mm. So it should uh, always be used in uh, multi-factor authentication mm. settings. That's mm. the only way to increase the security of a system. Mm. That makes sense. I mean, even... And I, I think we briefly talked about this, how even on your phone, after a while, your phone learns to... But yeah, okay, no, so actually this this uh, says against that argument, because if on your phone, you know, when you're unlocking with facial recognition, after a while, or at least that's how I experience it, it after a while it has started recognizing me when I have sunglasses on. Yes, yes. <laughs> and yes, yeah, so, so, so Apple uh, in their latest uh, mm. release, they... Uh, face mask. Exactly, the yes. face mask update. Yes, because I... <laughs> what, wait, I, yes. what have I During missed? Corona, I've noticed yeah. that after a while it started ah, recognizing okay. me with the yeah. mask on. Mm. Um, so it's learning, but also from different angles, I think it's it, it's gotten better at unlocking faster yeah but so my question is whether voice followed the same logic that it does pick up the nuances when you grow up that it will follow the the changes in your voice and learn on that as you go so that you maybe don't have to renew your uh, your voice biometric that's true if you renew it every day you never have yeah, to yeah i mean uh, if the ai can train on your voice every day then by default it should should learn but yeah, at the same time the same. we also change phone if we're talking just about mobile devices we do change them every few years and then you always have to input oh, your yeah. voice in again because i'm also thinking now when i'm 70 i'll probably be sounding quite raspy <laughs> so <laughs> if i had the same You're phone that I have smoker, today, you'll be fine <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, I would imagine then that's how you renew it, at least on, on a mobile device. Yeah. yeah, so you continuously verify yourself. You yeah. log in, you speak, make a mm. phone call, and then you can update the voice print from that. Yeah. Are the phones now constantly learning through your... It, does, the, does the update have to be pushed from Apple? Or does the the Siri learn by itself how my voice changes throughout the year right now? If I was not changing my phone, I um, actually don't know. Mm. Yeah, I uh, can't answer that. No, yeah. I have to ask Apple. 
Yeah, you know? we'll do a follow-up with Tim Cook. Yes. Um, but also, I have a question to way back when we started the podcast, uh, this episode, about not just voice biometric, but speech technologies. What is the difference with, when you say speech technologies? What do you mean? I mean it in its broadest sense. We want to, um, we are building platform. I kind of hate that word, but uh, we want to perform various kind of tasks. Uh, back to this general concept, machine learning mm. is just um, a machine learned algorithm is a task that's an input and an output. So speech technologies is uh, any kind of algorithm that has speech as input, and then mm. you can have different kind of outputs. It can be text, and then you have uh, transcription. Uh, it can be ID, then you have voice verification. Then we also deal with gender estimation, language estimation, mm -hmm. also denoising mm -hmm. uh, to remove noise from audio. You can also find where people are mm. uh, speaking, like voice activity detection. So that's the uh, input is speech and the output is a segmentation of your audio. Uh, you can yeah, you can imagine any kind of thing. Yeah. Um, The list is endless, so but that, that's uh, the main things we are dealing with now. Mm. I mean, I guess that if you if you talk to a chatbot or an automatic reply on the phone, that's some sort of speech technology that is supposed to decipher what you're telling it. Um, uh, yes, so you for sure use speech technologies as part of that system. Mm. So you would use speech recognition for understanding what the person is saying. Mm -hmm. And then you would feed that into a conversational AI engine. Mm -hmm. And that part is not really speech. It's mm -hmm. completely text-based. So mm -hmm. you input text and you get text out. And when you have the text, you might want to generate an answer. And that's mm -hmm. text-to-speech. It's I a speech several uh, technology. technologies yeah. mm. to create. Exactly. So the conversational AI part, uh, we don't uh, plan to do. Mm -hmm. um, but we can do the other two parts. So where are businesses applying it? Or where do you do you want to see businesses apply it? Everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we really believe in this uh, using voice biometrics to take the ne next step to, uh, for certain services and mm. uh, in, enhance their functionality. So um, I have a list of potential things you can do with it. One is subtitling. That's uh, getting closer and closer to being done automatically. So that's one field which we want people to start using it to yeah. automatically transcribe their content. And then together with the biometrics, you can also uh, say who is speaking to get in the text, in the subtitles, which is very uncommon to do in Sweden, mm. I have learned, uh, or I've never seen it in Sweden. But I heard it's actually fairly standard to do it in UK, for example. Mm. You have also say who is speaking now. So certain markets want that. And also in Sweden, you want to use it for availability texting. Mm. So for people who can't hear, it's very difficult to understand who is speaking when mm. they don't point the camera at the speaker. And then it helps a lot to add that information into subtitles. So uh, I think that's a very nice application. The other one, this search concept we talked about before. If you think about chatbots, that's a perfect example. There's There are many voice assistants, mm. so to speak, that works horribly bad because there was... Uh, speech recognition is not a new field. It's been there since the yeah. 90s. So people actually took what they did in the 90s and put it in the industry and 
that's sometimes what you get when you call certain companies today. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's just very frustrating because it's not really, uh, it's not a pleasant experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get uh, frustrated, but it is possible to make it good. The technology mm-hmm. is good enough to make a very nice conversation with a, yeah. with a machine. So that, that's also what I want people to start yeah. using. And, is, uh, it, is it hard? Can uh, How difficult has it become to recognize it, that you're speaking with a machine? I've um, recently listened to a podcast between Mark Andreessen and Joe Rogan. They talked about AI and whether AI is sentient after the case with the Google worker happened. And they said that usually men find it more difficult to identify that they're not speaking to a real person than women. And they connected it back to like sex chatbots, uh, whereas men are more easily fooled. But is that the case? Do you have any I, uh, information? I've not investigated this myself, uh, <laughs> but... I I have zero doubts that's the case, actually, because uh, women are more socially intelligent than men. So Mm -hmm. uh, it's, (laughs) I mean, it sounds completely plausible. (laughs) Uh, That would be better, easier for women to detect that. Mm. Mm. But then in, in the case of call centers, for example, is there certain tasks you are able to offload to this AI bot and then some tasks to be performed by an actual human being and how can you make that division is it then created at the start of a conversation when a person calling in tells what the problem is then they would get redirected depending on the complexity of the issue Um, so that's how the system works today right Mm. so the flow itself, I think, is fine. Mm. The way you build up FAQs and you mm. subdivide them into, you, you build like a, a question-answer tree mm. to uh, uh, maximize the probability that the user gets an answer as fast as possible. Mm. That's the the flow, and mm. there's nothing wrong with that. It's just the interaction. It's uh, itself. What is the main roadblock? Data, poor data collection, or poor data pools to support the uh, the AI or because you mentioned technology in itself is well functioning so why are so many not getting there what can we what can they do to get there where they have a more free-flowing conversation with Mm. someone calling in a good question so someone has to build the the service of course (laughs) and that's nothing that we have done either like out of the box yeah so um um, but I think it's um, those companies that provide those services they are mm. probably just too old and uh, not very innovative anymore, yeah. even if they were in the 90s. So it's a bit of a question mark to me why mm. why it, it's not available. Yeah. Uh, so I just mm. want someone to Because I suppose the size of business it. would be big enough, right, to provide return, good return on investment if it was implemented. Yeah, I mean, it's you can for the for the one that develops it. There's a big business case which is quite easy to scale. Yes, and the more you scale it, the more variety in data you will get. The better you will develop your service. So, it sh- there should be <laughs> there should be something <laughs> something better out there. But that's because that's the, but that's a 
question too, right? Like how can one ensure that there is a good representation in the data and that one service is fair and that one service is accurate when it comes to, even when it comes to like, uh, as you mentioned, like um, creating automated subtitling to pick up who it is or what kind of person it is without maybe giving any information beforehand on what kind of gender it is and so on. Yeah, but also when we talk about scaling, are we only then referring to English-speaking countries? And is it easier to scale it with English-speaking algorithms? And Um, then other languages are a lot more difficult to to train the algorithm with? And there's no intrinsic difficulty with uh, working with different languages. The, the biggest difficulty with working with uh, language technology in general is uh, you it's hard to make qualitative analysis of your uh, results. Um, oh, yeah. So, but the, the, except from that, you can look at the numbers and, and tr- if you trust those, you will see if it works or not. And you can use the same algorithm with different data and, and it will usually work with the same accuracy. Mm. But English, it's the amount of data is just uh, abundant in the... English and it's uh, Swedish is fairly okay. I think we are a very pretty kind of driving the field in Sweden to a certain extent. So we have quite some data, uh, but many languages uh, there is uh, that's the main difficulty yeah, to get the data. What what interests you in the field right now? Where do you think the most exciting stories or cases are happening? Where where do you think Conversi will jump in? Where will you go in one or two years or so? Mm-hmm. Maybe uh, 10? Or is that, 10? is that secret as well? <laughs> no, not at all. Um, it's, uh, yeah, two years ahead, it's um, almost too long uh, yeah. for, for me right now. Uh, but I'm current, I'm just very, I'm excited about what we do now with mm-hmm. the biometrics. And yeah. uh, I feel it's very new and innovative. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't seen anyone do it before, which... Um, that drives me personally. I don't mm. like to do what other people have done before. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we'll just focus a, a lot on that now. And we'll see what happens in, in yeah. two years. But I mean, with the biometric, you mentioned that, okay, so now you have this this case with a media house and tracking when people are talking and maybe if they're mentioning something when they've been paid to and so on. But surely there must be then quite a lot of lot of opportunities of maybe partnering with also advertising houses and advertising firms and and, and think similar. about B2C yeah, what I mean, are the to, use cases see, there? Considering how much money is spent on media buying these mm. days and then how much money is also being spent on influencers content creation, if you can you can launch a campaign and then you have a service that can automatically check if your buy has been followed through. Mm. And that must be quite um, rewarding, for both for, I mean... The brand for, and the influencer. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, for, for the brand, but also for the, for the advertising agency, they go through a lot of hassle with just verification, with checking, with following up on statistics and so on so it would be quite convenient to just have something track that down for you i would assume exactly and sometimes it's not it's not possible to do it or it's very expensive to do it with oh, yeah, that makes sense. manual work so yeah for sure 
mm. think that's an uh, plausible application. I saw also on your, because obviously we've been looking a little bit of what has been done or you, you guys have been up to, what kind of solutions you have also suggested that can be done, for instance, in in translations from one language to another. And I think that's quite interesting because obviously, well, right now, maybe the the application would be, I don't know, in, in courtrooms and so on. But I think it'd be interesting to see how far are we away from where we can use a translator on a daily basis where we maybe not everyone has to learn English all of a sudden. So you just when, when you just you, uh, use uh, AR glasses or something yeah. and it shows up in front of you with yeah. the other person. Imagine going on vacation that way. <laughs> and then, well, yeah, then you wouldn't have any troubles going to Italy or France then, right? So. Definitely not. Uh, but I think Google was, didn't Google show a demo yeah. with, um, or maybe HoloLens has shown a demo with that. It's probably not too far away, but... There has been some demo shown before. I just can't recall mm. which company has shown it. But I think it's either been Google or Microsoft mm. through their glasses. Mm. So someone is speaking to you. Mm. It uses in its own native language speech recognition to transcribe that. Yeah, and then it translates it and displays it on uh, the lens. Yes. Yeah, and then. Ideally, you should be able to speak back, and it should also generate voice. Yeah. That yes. doesn't that doesn't sound like Microsoft Sam, but yeah. sounds like yeah. It sounds so, like you. <laughs> actually, yeah. that's a very interesting thing. Yeah, uh, sounds like you. Mm. It's uh, so text to speech is, is like every other uh, AI field progressing very fast, mm. and this, the generated speech today can sound very good, but uh, personalization not so far. So. That's something that we're looking into, but uh, mm-hmm. so I'll have to come back with the results. Yeah. <laughs> but basically, uh, you can imagine that you can combine that technology. So in general, we think it's super interesting to combine things. That's mm. really when you get value out of this. Uh, by itself, t- speech text is not very valuable. Well, sometimes it mm. is, but not usually. Yeah, so you can combine voice biometrics with text-to-speech and you can personalize it. Uh, mm. So... It sounds exactly like you, with a small setup time of a minute or so, and not uh, uh, one month on a GPU cluster. Yeah, uh, which it kind of takes today. Yeah, so that, that that's a prediction uh, I have, uh, which I think will happen within these two years. Yeah. And uh, and also back to like creating value out of mm. this. Uh, so this is a very nice thing. Composing speech to text translation is actually creating a function which enables you to communicate with people you couldn't communicate with before. It opens up the world. Exactly. When uh, when composed like that. And mm. also when you compose translation and text-to-speech, you can actually have a, even a, a conversation with someone else. So that's three technologies combined. And that creates an application, which is pretty cool. So how did you mention it, how fast it works? What is the delay in... In, in it delivering from when it hears you? So that's all, also a main issue now, probably. Mm. Or we will get uh, this, uh, I think it's in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah. He has this uh, babble <laughs> fish in his ear and he can just speak with an alien in the, la- in the universe. Uh, so before we can get that, yeah. we need to get all these three technologies onto a mm. system on a chip that fits mm. in your ear uh, or something like that. 
I don't know where you put the actual speaker to produce yeah. the sound, but uh, how far are we from that? <laughs> yeah. how, how big are the devices today that do that? Yeah, so the devices today is also progressing uh, very fast, but you need at least a computer to mm. do it. So oh, yeah. you, you could uh, do this kind of stuff with a laptop today. Yeah, and uh, so to make another prediction, if you apply Moore's law to that. So every fourth year you yeah. get like a is it doubling or ten doubling, times doubling. doubling yeah but I, I yeah I don't know if if uh, no, uh, there's a theory that it has stopped now that yeah it's dead. it was it was true to a certain time <laughs> yeah. and then I think it stopped be- I forgot what it was I I read it but I forgot but um, it's not but there's a new law now out there as well I don't exactly, remember a new law called. yeah. <laughs> We can actually post a link to that. So the, the hardware gets twice as fast every yeah. certain amount of years. Mm. And, uh, uh, well... So it says here on McKinsey that although it later proves to do so roughly every 18 months. Every 18 months, even, mm. yeah. So um, that together also with uh, the software part, you mm. actually try to... Uh, compress these uh, models mm-hmm. that perform these different tasks. Those two factors together can uh, make it happen in a couple of years. So uh, to be pessimistic, let's say five. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and uh, if you have enough money, you can also always make an ASIC, which is like a custom chip, and then you can. Then it's probably possible to do it uh, almost today if you, yeah, oh, yeah. if you have the money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which we don't, so we'll wait. But yeah, but then also, I mean, it's also a question of, sure, if it works, but you want the hardware to be quite easy to wear, right? And to be easy to adopt. It needs to look good also. Yeah, exactly. People are so vain. But (laughs) But it's it's like this with everything. Yeah. With with, um, mixed reality glasses, with even with headphones Mm. now, you don't see them anymore. Uh, Yeah. But so, but that's interesting then, because I mean, we've been talking a lot about the metaverse. <laughs> I was, I was. It took us how long to mention it? Yeah, well, forty-eight minutes. <laughs> yeah, so I think that must be a record. That's a record. And I can only imagine that this would be super interesting to apply in in a metaverse context, because then you could, yeah. You can only imagine how many different people that you will interact with Mm. on a platform that is open for everyone. And currently, English is supposedly the most used language on international platforms. I think Spanish. ah, I know, actually, you know, the way you put it, no, I think Spanish is the biggest or most spoken language in the world. Yeah. But English is maybe used more. Yeah, and then, you know, Chinese must be quite big at certain platforms as well. Then that's probably what for for people that have that as a a native language, right? But isn't that the point then? That like now all of a sudden you can actually jump between these platforms no matter what the main language is because Mm -hmm. you can use a technology that can translate you and your your personal voice then. Mm, So I guess brands could create their own personalities now not just um oh well, maybe not necessarily brand but you no. as a person your avatar can can actually be it but you would be use yourself. your own voice right as an avatar in in some space i would and guess that most people want to have something else than their own voice so. uh, i think see i, I yeah, mean, it's okay, about, it's, that's it's a true. question see, i'm not want... a gaming myself so obviously <laughs> i <laughs> 
have But is it about the voice about. that they want to have different or is it just the way they look in the space? Mm. I think it's both. I haven't well, thought now of the you voice. have the option. <laughs> yeah, I can choose. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but the speech is for sure the natural interface to uh, in that world. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and in general to any machine in the future. Mm. Doubt you will use your hands as much as we do today. We yeah. want to interact more naturally with uh, uh, with computers in the yeah. future. But the, of course, yeah, virtual reality is the first place where that will happen uh, first. Yeah. Um, mainly because it's just very difficult to uh, to type. Mm-hmm. Uh, you usually don't have a keyboard when you're in VR. You have these pointers and yeah, yeah, it's, yeah exactly. it's actually slower than typing on a yeah. uh, phone. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I remember when I was in school, then I was, I had um, some project for a um, music production company and they were worried that within, I don't remember if they they predicted five or ten years, but it was some, somewhere in between there, that you would search for music using your voice um, within yeah five to ten years. And that obviously, for them, that meant that it would be difficult to for you to recognize what an artist looks like because all of a sudden you're not going to look at images anymore but rather just use your voice. We are expected, or it seems as if interfaces going forward are expected to become more and more voice-based. So it seems, um, yeah, it would make sense for, for that to be, as you say, like if you're playing instead of using a keyboard, it would make more sense for you to, uh, to talk to, or to give directions to your computer through your voice. So this uh, prediction that these people made, yeah. uh, was it using your voice to search uh, like on a content basis? Uh, yeah. Hey, f- find con- me everything with yeah. Uh, JZ. Yeah, essentially. Okay. So and I mean... Mm, not like, yeah, oh, I want something that sounds like this. But then maybe I would guess that that would be the case as well. That it's not only, that it wasn't only artist-based, but that you would... Their prediction was that you would use your phone more on a voice basis. Mm. That you wouldn't be, yeah, simply you wouldn't be glued to it or you wouldn't be writing maybe as much as you would be, I guess they thought we would be using Siri to a far large extent by this time. And maybe we haven't, but it's not impossible that, you know, the more, um, the better those interfaces work that the more we're going to be applying them, right? Because now, right now it's just a little bit awkward when you have to repeat yourself over and over again. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. And it's very usually very command-based nowadays. You, you yeah. ask a question, you get yeah. an answer. It's not a conversation. It's, no. uh, and hence it becomes very stiff uh, yeah. and unnatural. It's very, uh, yeah, you, only ha- you have very structured conversations with those uh, voice assistants these days. Yeah. Well, we'll see when we end up with a robot or <laughs> someone that you can have a full con- full-on conversation with. Um, mm. But then, okay, I have I have just one more, and this is uh, this is actually going back to security. Unless you had any, you know. Um, so, with biometrics, how do we ensure that if you record your voice and someone plays plays it up? Or even that if a, you know, we have seen examples of deep fakes, for instance, mm. that can, you know, train on your voice and, and apply it. And 
they they put together their own sentences over time and they're quite good, I would say. Can voice biometrics pick that up when it's being um, when it's being constructed? Or yeah, how a, can we ensure that it is <laughs> being picked up? It's a very good um, good question. Uh, and the the short answer is uh, no. Yeah. Or it, it depends on who has the most data. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's the AI against AI, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. Mm. So that's actually one one way to train AI. Yeah. It's to put up a competition. Uh, one AI tries to fake, one tries to... Uh, Oh, distinguish yeah. it fakes from reals. Mm. When you train them in that way, the equilibrium of that procedure is when it's impossible for the uh, so-called discriminator, one that tries to distinguish fakes from reals, uh, when that one simply has to do random guessing. So then mm. the generator or the yeah. faker is uh, perfect uh, oh, wow. on that data set. So yeah, it depends on who has the most data. I think uh, that's that's yeah. going to be the uh, uh, long-term solution, yeah. and it's going to be very difficult to distinguish uh, uh, what's real from fake in the future. Also, I think, and also uh, back to security, another reason to not only rely on this because it is possible to uh, to fake it uh, if people have some data on you, and um, so yeah. That's the yeah. short answer. You can't really protect your, yourself from your voice being used and copied. I mean, you and I, or our voice, once it's out, our recording, yeah. someone can use it exactly. to I, fake uh, you. Yeah, but my, my voice is completely compromised after this is released. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and yours are, yours are all compromised, yeah. Yes. Um, but at the same time, it's the same thing with, you know, someone... Can someone hold up a picture to have facial recognition and like and unlock I, your phone? I don't know it should be it depends on how maybe how good the picture is. is. Yeah. Because I, I would imagine it works on the depth of Yeah. And maybe the heat isn't it also yeah. I'm, I'm not sure, but face, I, it, face ID. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it, uh, they have um, lidars. So mm-hmm. it's um, like a laser radar mm. that scans your face. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it shows out this point cloud of laser points in your face and reconstruct it with depth, like you say. Yeah. Oh. Uh, so that's strictly stronger than using a picture, mm. uh, which mm-hmm. some other companies do. I'm not sure if they do it uh, anymore, but Samsung, for example, they have been using Face ID far way back. Mm-hmm. But it was just mm-hmm. uh, based on... Uh, uh, pictures yeah. or uh, images, and uh, that was of course very easy to uh, to spoof. You print a picture of someone and show it for the camera, and it's mm. you can log in to a phone. True. Yeah, so uh, for, to f- um, spoof uh, a face ID, you need to actually print someone's face yeah. in in mold, which is like <laughs> kind of a huge procedure. <laughs> so never never mold your face. Like, if you pull that off, you know what? <laughs> By your means, get into my account or whatever. You deserve it. Yeah. <laughs> oh wow! But yeah, but then again, I guess uh, no matter what, in the with the kind of technology that we have today, maybe. I mean, two-step verification will need to be a, mm. a We can standard. always try to protect ourselves, yeah. but maybe it's also a value in finding ways of how to resolve when you've been compromised. Mm. Yeah. 
if there's uh, if they're not developed yet. Yeah. Well, with that, what do you think? I think we got our yeah our answers. But this but has thank been, you so much. Yeah, yeah this, this has was, been uh, super interesting. Super fun. Yeah, I really enjoyed this. It's uh, always fun to speak about what you do and uh, yeah. mm-hmm. in, in a kind of free context where you don't know what you're gonna talk about. <laughs> Uh, I'm I'm interested in seeing those GPU farms. Mm. (laughs) I'm curious how. I mean, it's just. You imagine imagine something cute, right? (laughs) I mean, not cute. I can see the box Uh, of chips, like in in uh, how I met. It's just the name of it sounds funny, but of course, I imagine them in um, in shelves in a box inside of something being powered by something. That to me is a GPU farm, but. Um, maybe. How accurate is that? Yeah, that sounds uh, pretty accurate. It's a box. <laughs> it's a box of boxes. <laughs> a box of boxes. Good. Uh, That's something, right? Uh, uh, no, but this has been fantastic. Very fascinating and very insightful to hear what you're doing, but also what what awaits us and um, what to be aware of in the future. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you too. Thank you. Thank you all for listening. Go to the links in the description to follow us on social media. And if you like this episode, don't forget to share and subscribe so you never miss out on future episodes.